If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul will bring you a Bible. And the rest of us can turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're taking a break in our verse-by-verse study on the book of Colossians to look at moms. To look at moms. No one makes a greater impact on the family, sorry dads, than mom. Mom is the cornerstone. We all love our moms. She's, she's like the cement. She puts it all together, just like that lady in that video did. She knows everything that's going on. She knows where it's all at. And that, that's so many times that happens in the Ford household. I'll get frustrated. Where is something? And Irene will be like, oh, it's, it's there. Or it's there. Or she, just, she does a wonderful job. But all the moms do. We're very thankful for you. So let's start off with a quote from George Washington. George Washington said this. He said, my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her, George Washington. And is, it, is that not true or what? Where would we be, guys? Where would we, where would we be, ladies? Where would we be, children? Where would we be without mom? Where, where, where would we be? She, like I said, she's the cornerstone of the family. So this morning's message is, is, is geared toward Mother's Day, but it's for all ladies, for, for our moms, for our grandmothers. This is geared for all ladies. Maybe um, Mother's Day is not such a good day for you. Maybe you, your, your mother has gone home to be with the Lord, or maybe you struggle with infertility in your life or things have happened or whatever. But this message is for all ladies, all moms, and we just want to encourage you, wherever you're at in life, Wherever you're at, wherever God has you in his sovereign plan, uh, we just want to encourage you to trust in the Lord, to trust in God, to put your faith in him. Amen? So let's look at this morning's message is Hannah, a life dedicated to the Lord. So let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We went through 1 Samuel um, in our men's and women's Bible study. We spent about, about six months, Rick. We spent a long time. So... Most of us are very familiar with um, the book of Samuel. But remember, Israel was in a dark, dark time. You know, the, the scripture says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And God had an answer for that period of the judges. And guys, it didn't start with a man. It started with a woman. It started with a mother. So let's look at 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our verse-by-verse study. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for um, this book that you've given us, this amazing book, 1 Samuel. Father, thank you for the life of Hannah. And, Lord, as we look at her life this morning, help us to pull principles that are especially dedicated for our moms and our mothers and our ladies. But, Lord, these are principles that all of us can pull from. So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. And open our eyes now in our hearts in Jesus name amen amen first Samuel chapter 1 verse 1 says now there was a certain man from Aramathium Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim and his name was Elkanai the son of Jehoram the son of Elihu the son of Tohu the son of Zuf and Ephraimite he had two wives the name of one was Hannah and the name of the other was Peniah and Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Once Mark Twain was challenged by a bigamous Mormon, and, he, and, the, and the, the, the 
question that was posed to him, the challenge that was posed to him, he says, can you quote one Bible verse that prohibits polygamy? Mark Twain easily replied, yes, I can. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. <laughs> That's what he said, and I thought the same thing. No man can serve two masters. <laughs> you know, many times uh, I was listening to a, a preacher and his wife speak one time, and the pastor said, the preacher said, you know, the man is the head of the household. The man is the head of the home. And you know what his wife said? You may be the head of the home, but I'm the neck. And the neck tells the head which way to go. But, uh, but yes, uh, here we see polygamy. We see a man with, uh, with two wives. And we just need to establish this fact that throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, it has always been God's plan for one man and one woman. This was not ever God's plan. Genesis 2.24 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And you're going to find that everywhere in the Old Testament where it mentions polygamy, it's always in a negative light. It's always in a negative light. There's always problems. And that's what we have here this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where he has, he has two wives, Hannah and Penea. So let's look at verse 3. We're going to look at, look at the issue that's going on here. Verse 3, he says, Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. Historical context, when this was written, what's going on here? This is the time of the judges. This is the time of judges. It's evil, it's corrupt. Every man was doing what was right in his own, his own sight. The very next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 2, talks about um, Hophni and Phinehas. And it says, these guys didn't even know the Lord. It was very evil, corrupt times. And here's what Israel needed. Israel needed a change. They, they, they needed a change. They needed something to happen, something to take place that would change the, the moral climate. So what is God's answer? What is God's answer? Because this is the transition. This is the transition from the, uh, the time of the judges to, to the time of the kings. And God's answer is not a king. It's not an army. It's a young lady by the name of Hannah. Because that's where Samuel came from. And Samuel would be the, the last and what scripture declares the greatest of the judges. So in verse 4, it continues. It says, And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Paneah, his wife, and to all her sons and to her daughter. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord, and this is a pretty strong statement here, but the Lord had closed her womb. Specifically saying it was the Lord who had closed her womb. That's a difficult statement. But ultimately, we need to understand in this life, above all things, is this, that God is sovereign. God is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And not one leaf falls to the ground. Not one speck of dust on, on the planet Mars moves without his sovereign plan, without his sovereign will, without his sovereign decree. You know, and when it comes to this subject 
as challenging it is this, God is sovereign. He closes wombs and he opens wombs. And the best thing for us parents to do, especially young parents that are anticipating having children, is the number one thing that you can do when it comes to a child raising children and having children is this, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He will direct your path. He's sovereign. He's in control. He knows everything that's going on. And we have to trust him. Even when, when it doesn't look like, when it doesn't look right, even when uh, things aren't going the way you wanted them to, life doesn't always go the way we want it to, and it doesn't always go the way that we plan things out. But even in our most difficult and trying times, we got to understand this and stand that God is in control, God is sovereign, and Lord God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in your plan. I'm going to trust that you know the future and that you know everything and that my heart can rest in that. That no matter what happens, whether that, that, that young couple has children or not, that God is sovereign, God is in control, and he will make a way where there is no way. So God is sovereign. Verse 6, he says, Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her. Wow, this is a strong statement. Because the Lord had closed her womb. How painful would that be, ladies? It's, it's, not, not, it's, it's bad enough that you can't have children, okay? That's bad enough as it is. Because we know how precious and how awesome that is to the family and to the mother. But on top of that, to have someone um, bitterly irritating you. Panea was mean. She, she, she humiliated Hannah. She angered Hannah. And we're going to see in the text, the, the, the text implies that, uh, that Panea drove her to the edge. Took her to the edge. This is what we would call today a, 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 mo- a modern day emotional storm. Emotional storm in, in Hannah's heart and Hannah's mind. And a lot of times in those situations is, is um, people, ladies, Sometimes men in other situations, when things get like this, what will happen? They will spiral out of control. They will spiral out of control. But, but what, is, what does Hannah do? What do we see she's going to do? What do we need to do when things are rough like this and things are going south? We need to stay the course. We need to stay the course and stay faithful, stay focused, and trust in the Lord, despite what other people are saying, despite the negative comments, despite the naysayers, despite anything that's coming against you uh, physically or spiritually, we just got to stay the course. Examine our hearts. Make sure your heart is right before the Lord. Make sure you're doing the right thing, but just stay the course. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. And in verse 7, the opening, it implies that this wasn't just a one-time thing. This was over and over and over and over again. Um, I'd be upset if I was a husband. I would not be happy. This is not very nice. Verse 7. It says, it, there it is. It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So here it is, her emotional breakdown. Hannah, so she wept and she would not eat. You know, when you get to that point, it's serious. 
When you get to that point where you're weeping and you're refusing to eat food, not only is it affecting you spiritually, but it's affecting you physically, it's affecting you mentally, and she's, she's pushing her to the edge. But thankful for Elkaniah, Elkaniah, he says in verse 8, says, Then Elkaniah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Elkanah, he loved Hannah. He loved Hannah. And we see a loving husband here reaching out to his wife in compassion. In many times, in many cases, the situation arises where men, we don't understand our wives. But we got to learn to understand them. And we got to be learned there to listen, watch their body language and listen to their language and understand when things are going south. And when they go south, we got to be there to encourage them. we got to be there to encourage them and lift them up. I know my wife, she encourages me a lot. There's a lot of times throughout my life, our past 21 years of marriage, where I've been down in the dumps and she's lifted me up. And there's been vice versa. There's been times where she's been down. And things have been going south for her, and God has used me to lift her up. But that's a very important role in marriage, that, that as husbands and wife, that we complement each other and that we lift each other up and that we encourage each other. Amen? Amen. So Al, he, he loved Hannah, and, but, but he, could not, he, couldn't, um, he couldn't fulfill all of her needs, especially this one. This is, this is, this is going to need a miracle from above. He can't help her with a child. Because her womb is closed. So verse 9. Verse 9 now is where we get into um, her dedication. Uh, what, it, what it looks like to be a life dedicated to the Lord. And it's, it's, it's never portrayed better in the life of a Christian than when things are going south. When things are not good. When, when life has thrown you a curveball like it has her. You would expect her to real, you know, to act in her flesh or to crumble but let's look at what she does verse 9 then Hannah arose after eating and drinking in Shiloh now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord and here we're going to see we're going to see her dedication her dedication her commitment through her pain her, verse 10 she greatly distressed prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And a razor shall never come on his head. Now first off, as I'm looking at this passage, the first thing, point I want to bring to your attention is this. Uh, godly women that love Jesus, that serve the Lord faithfully, that are deeply committed to him, go through difficult times. They go through difficult times. Us two guys, but we're talking about mothers, and we're talking about Hannah. But even godly Christians grow, go through trying, difficult situations, mentally, spiritually, and even physically. Verse 10 it says in verse 10, describing Hannah, it says she was greatly distressed. Then later on in verse 10, it says she was weeping bitterly. Then you look down at verse 11, it says uh, she was in a state of affliction. 
She was in a state of affliction. This was a painful process for her. But through her fiery trial, but through her fiery trial, Hannah stayed focused. What's that old saying? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. This is, this is, when, this is when I believe Hannah probably has a little self-talk and says, you know what? Dig deep. I got to dig deep. I got to grab my Bible. I got to dig deep. I got to trust in the Lord, and I got to look to him. I, I, I got to look to him in this trying, difficult time. It's in those situations where our faith is made. It's in those situations where our faith becomes solid. It's those situations where our faith becomes tested by fire. In her pain, in her pain, she, what does she do? What does she do? Go back and look at it in, in verse, um, verse 11. In her pain, she acknowledges the awesome power of God. In verse 11, it says, She made a vow, O Lord of hosts. O Lord of hosts. That means, O Lord is, is Yahweh. That was God's name in the Old Testament. Lord, Yahweh God. And then of host means the armies of heaven. She refers to God not as just, O God, or dear Lord, but she refers to him, O Lord of hosts. In other words, she, she's crying out, Yahweh, Lord, of the armies of heaven, I call out to you. Isaiah and Jeremiah use this title to remind God's people that despite their circumstances, he will come through. It's used over 260 times in the Old Testament. And the picture of Lord of hosts is that God is a mighty, reigning, conquering, king, warrior, and he is going to come through in your battle. That's what that phrase means. Today, today, 2019, Jesus Christ is our Lord of hosts. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord of hosts. He is our Yahweh of the armies of heaven. He Three points. Three points on Jesus as Lord of hosts. Number one, Jesus Christ rules the armies of heaven. Jesus Christ rules the armies of heaven. In the Garden of Gethsemane, a large crowd had came. They came with swords. They came with clubs. And what did they do? They came to arrest Jesus. Jesus, oh, not Jesus. Uh, Peter strikes off the ear of one of the guys. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, put away your sword. Right now, at this very moment, I could dispatch 12 legions of angels from heaven and annihilate these guys because Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the gospel that we serve, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of heaven and he's Lord of earth. He's Lord in our lives. And when they say he's Lord of heaven, he's Lord of the armies of heaven. He's Lord of all the angelic forces. They move at his command. They, 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 they move at his command. Uh, he said, I could, in, in Matthew chapter 26, he says, I could dispatch 12 legions of angels. A legion is 6,000. That's, he, he could dispatch 72,000 angels if you're doing the math back in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I could send 72,000 angels right now. 72,000 angels could come on the scene. And wipe those guys out. If you go back to 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, one angel, one angel killed how many men? 185,000. You do the math. I didn't do it. 
185,000 men times 72,000 angels, they could do a lot. That is who our Jesus is in charge of. Because Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Part of the Christian faith is that we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're, when we say he's Lord, curios, we're saying that he is master. He is in control of our lives. But he's also the Lord of heaven. And he controls all the armies of heaven. This uh, phrase, when we apply it to Christ Jesus, our Lord, that he's Lord of hosts, means he's crushed our enemy. He's crushed our enemy, namely Satan. Jesus Christ, this is the gospel, that when Jesus died on the cross, he crushed the works of Satan. It was prophesied in the very beginning. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That was part of Jesus' job when he died on the cross was to defeat the works of darkness, to defeat the forces of hell and to, and to bring Satan's kingdom to an end over a, a believer's life. So when a believer receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, not only are they forgiven, but they're also delivered. That is the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He, he died on the cross to defeat Satan, to give us eternal life, and to give us this new life in Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. Colossians, Paul says in Colossians 2.15, talking about um, Jesus being the Lord of hosts and, and, and defeating Satan. Paul says in Colossians 2.15, And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him by the cross. So he's the, Jesus Christ being our, our Lord of hosts today, he, he rules the armies of heaven. He, he crushed the forces of darkness. He, he crushed Satan on the head, defeated his works. And ultimately, I, I asked Blake to close with this song. He is, uh, he is our shield. He, he is our shield. The Lord Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you repent and believe the gospel and he comes into your life, Jesus Christ becomes your shield. He becomes your shield. He goes before you. He stands behind you. And he fights your battles. I love that. I love that. Because there's sometimes in life where I get so overwhelmed and I don't know, I don't know what to do. It could be something I, when I was in the military, things are going on in life, and, and, and I have no control of the situation, but I'm in this battle. I go to my Lord in prayer. I open up his word. And I say, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I need you now. I need you to fight this battle for me. That is the gospel. That he is our Lord of hosts. He is our Yahweh God. When we face difficult situations, when you face difficult situations, and we're fixing to move on in a minute, um, we need to acknowledge the awesome power of God. That's what Hannah did. And if Hannah did it, then so should you and I. Amen? Amen. Let's look at her integrity. Her integrity, verses 12 through 15. Now, it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving. But her voice 
was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. (laughs) But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now, in the natural realm, not in the spiritual sense, but in the natural realm, she had every reason to go to the bottle. Okay? In the flesh, she had every reason to go for the, bo- go for the bottle, to go for the wine. But she said, no. No. This is, I, the, I'm in the situation I'm in now, Eli, not because of wine, but because my soul is depressed and I'm crying out to the Lord. I am not drunk. She's, she's, what she's showing here to us is her integrity. She's showing us her integrity. Integrity means moral soundness. It means not walking in corruption. It means um, exercising sound judgment. Hannah is walking in integrity. She's walk, walking with strong moral convictions. And Christians, we need strong moral convictions. We need strong moral convictions. We need that deep seated, rooted truth in our heart, okay? Not just in our actions, which that's important too, but before it manifests itself in our actions, we need that deep, uh, rooted, deep-seated conviction in our heart that, that lying is wrong, that sinning against God is wrong. We need that deep moral conviction. She lived Hannah lived what she believed. Hannah lived what she believed. How do you walk in integrity? How does a believer today walk in integrity? How, how do we do it? Simply this way. You focus your life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You focus your life on the beautiful message of that gospel. When you understand what Christ went through at Calvary and you understand that he died on the cross for your sins and it makes beautiful glorious news because you know you're completely forgiven because of that sacrifice and then you look at this beautiful glorious truth not only did he die on the cross but he rose from the grave he was dead and now he's alive that is our Lord of hosts that is our Messiah and when our lives focus on that and, and let that truth sing in our hearts, and we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, our integrity will fall in line. Our integrity will fall in line. We won't have to force ourselves to obey. We'll want to obey. Because let's face it, obedience, even, even obedience now, if you want to get deep and theological here, even obedience is, is, is not a work of the flesh. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in our lives gives us the ability to obey God because we understand this beautiful, glorious gospel and we understand grace. You know what the name Hannah means? It means grace. It means favor. We understand grace. We understand God's favor. We understand his forgiveness. We understand the gospel. And it's like, oh God, I just want to obey you. I just want to obey you and live my life for you. Not to mention that God's law 
the moral law, that is, the Ten Commandments, has been written on our hearts, according to Romans chapter 1 and 2. It's been written on our hearts to point us to the gospel, to point us to Christ. But we don't do it out of a, we don't, we, we don't do it out of a moral, legalistic obligation, though. We do it um, as a response to grace and a response to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how we walk in integrity. We place Christ at the center. We walk in his grace. We walk in his truth. All right, let's look at her faith. Let's look at her faith. Her faith, uh, you see her faith, um, Hannah's faith in verses 16 through 18. Let's take a look at it. It says, uh, do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman, here it is, here's Hannah, she's coming up out. So the, the woman, Hannah, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Hannah, at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 1, goes from a place of despair to faith. Hannah was crushed. Hannah was in the dumps. But she stayed the course. She held on to God's grace through the fiery storm, through the difficult time. And what does she do? She takes it to the Lord in prayer. She took it to the Lord in prayer. She took it to him by faith. And now, what's the result? She's walking in faith. She's walking in faith. And it says... Um, in verse 19, she, she's able to worship. She's able to worship the Lord. You know, when we settle those matters, when we get those things taken care of, it enables us to come in and focus in worship. But it's when those things are heavy on our hearts and heavy on our minds, and we're going through this difficult situation, that it just interrupts everything. It interrupts our worship. It interrupts our marriage. It, it, it interrupts everything until we give it to God. And we rise up and we walk by faith. She had, I believe in this, part, in, this, in this part of the text here, she has a renewed confidence. She has a renewed confidence and she has a restored relationship with her husband. Because what happens in verse 19, it says, And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife. And I love this phrase, And the Lord remembered her. Now, this phrase is not like, He forgot about her. Then, Oh, yeah, let me go back to Hannah. No, that's not, that's not, what, this, that's not what this statement is implying. This, this, this statement that the Lord remembered her was he heard her prayer. He saw her faith. And in his sovereign plan, he changed things because prayer changes things. And that's what he does. That's what he does for Hannah. So her faith was strong. You know, I... I I can't emphasize it enough, uh, ladies and men, that our faith needs to be strong in the trying times, in the difficult times, when things aren't going the way we want them. You know, whether it's home, job, family, your marriage, whatever. Stay the course. Stay the course. That last banner as you're going out the door, look at it when you leave. First Timothy 6.12, what does it say? It says, fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life 
which God has called you in Christ Jesus. Fight the good fight. It's, all, it's not always going to be roses and, and easy, easy going. But fight the good fight. Fight for your family. Fight for your faith. And fight through the storm. And he will see you through. And that's what's happening with her. Her faith is strong now. So it's amazing. I find it amazing what happens when you spend time with the Lord. What happens when you spend time with the Lord? Just in our weekly, everyday lives. What happens in life when you don't spend time with him versus what happens when you do spend time with him? When you finally, I, only, I can only pre- talk for myself, when the, the hard-headedness finally sets himself aside, I said, okay, I've got to stop. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to spend some time in prayer. And all of a sudden, when I do that, those things that I was worried about, those things that were, were issues in my life, those things that, that were mountains, God takes care of them. Or he gives me understanding to see them in their right perspective. And they're not bothering me no more. All because I stopped to spend time with the Lord. And that's what's happening with Hannah. Let's look at the final, final portion of scripture this morning. Verses 20 through 23. And verses 20 through 23 is, uh, is Hannah's actions. His actions. You know, faith without works is dead. You know, our, our, when we truly believe something... When we truly believe something and we, and we truly get it, action is going to follow our faith. Look at verse 20. It says, It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Faith without works. I like to use the word action. Faith without actions is dead. Faith is more than just a mental ascent in our head. Faith is a trust. It is a trust from our heart to the Lord that says, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust your plans. I trust your way. I trust you individually, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Faith is, is, is obedience. Because of this glorious truth and the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, faith is obedience. It's, 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 it's taking what we've learned and what we believe, and it's lived out in our everyday life. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we, we blow it along the way. That's what grace is for. But in general, our life follows our life patterns, our life actions, they follow our faith. Faith is, is following. To me, to me it's, it's following Christ. It's following the Lord. It's saying, Lord, where you lead, I will follow, and I will pattern my life according to this beautiful, glorious gospel that you have. I will, um, faith is um, surrender. It's, it's surrendering to the Lord. And saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. It's, you know, when you get in those little fights, the hand motions, and uncle, it's saying uncle, uncle to God. 
uncle to the Lord and letting him have his way. Her deeds, um, in, the, in this text that we're, that's before us this morning, her deeds and her, or her actions uh, followed her faith. Hannah's actions, Hannah's actions here can be found in um, what she did, what she did with Samuel. Go back to verse 22. In verse 22, she says, she says, I will bring him. She says, I will bring him, and that he may appear before the Lord and, and stay there forever. In other words, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring him for the purpose that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. She was completely committed to presenting Samuel to the Lord. She, she, and, and she was completely committed to the Lord herself. She was, and she was completely committed to um, presenting Samuel before the Lord because of what she had said. And she had seen God's faithfulness. She had seen God's mighty hand. She knew the despair she was in. And now she knew where she was at now. And she was like, Lord, you're worthy of it all. And today, I was, in my life, I think about the old life. I think about everything that he took me out of, everything he rescued me, he, me from, the things he broke the chains and set me free from and forgiven me of. And today, I'm like, Lord, you can have it all. You can have it all because of what you've done in my life, what you set me free from. I praise the Lord for that. The fruit of, um, here in 1 Samuel, the fruit of her dedication, the fruit of, of Hannah's commitment to the Lord was the last and greatest judge of Israel. His name was Samuel. What did Samuel do with Saul and David? They, he anointed them. He anointed them. What did Saul, what, what, what did, what did Saul and David's uh, stages in the life of Israel do? What did it do? It took Israel into what we call the golden age. But it all started back right here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is the bridge from, from the, the judges to the time of Saul and David. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this message this morning from the life of Hannah. Lord, help us to walk in faith. Help us to trust in you through all of our difficult situations and trying times. Father, help our actions. That is the way we live our lives, to follow our faith. And God, help us just to be dedicated to you. Help us to be dedicated to you in, in everything, Lord. Because, Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of hosts. You are Yahweh of the armies of heaven. You're Lord of heaven and you're Lord of earth. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you for that. And if, just an attitude of prayer, ladies, if you don't mind, moms, would y'all mind standing for just a second? We want to pray for you. We're just going to pray for you where you're at. And we're going to lift up our moms. And then hopefully we're going to be spending the afternoon blessing them and taking them out to lunch and just having a beautiful day with their moms. So let's, let's pray for our mothers.
Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for our moms. I pray, Lord, on this special day, God, that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, Father, that they would be encouraged from God's word. And, Lord, that you would help them, Lord, to grow in grace, grow in grace, grow in dedication, grow in their, in their commitment and their love for you. And, Lord, we know out of that relationship, they'll be awesome moms. So, Father, thank you for our mothers, for our ladies serving in children's ministry. Uh, please bless them also. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Oh, I want to pray one more thing, too. Father, I lift up those who are struggling with Mother's Day, those who are going through the pain of a, a lost mother, those who are struggling with uh, infertility. Father, I pray that you strengthen them and that you encourage them. God, some of them, many of them aren't even here with us this morning. But Lord, let us be instruments of peace. Let us be instruments of encouragement. And Lord, let us be aware of those around us in our family and in our neighborhoods that, that, that wrestle in this area. And let us encourage them also. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.